did that video is a couple reasons. I want all of you to see what Men of Valor is all about, all the different activities that we do throughout the year. And secondly, it's because I tell Jody, you know, a couple times a month I'm going to do stuff with the guys at church and I wanted proof. So she's sitting here so she can see that we're actually doing what I'm saying we're doing. But I see a lot of the guys around here that have been at some of those events, some of those conferences and uh, the games, the football, the different things. And uh, there's a lot going on with what we do here for the men at Christian Life, and I'm proud to uh, be chosen as the one to lead this. And my name is Mark, and if you came this morning to hear Pastor Darrell preach, I apologize. If you came to hear me preach, I apologize even more. Uh, but it's going to be a good morning. God's got great things in store, and I know that because I'm going to be preaching from His Word. So it won't be the words of Mark, but it'll be the words of God. The hymn that the guys sang, I love when these guys get up here every year and sing that southern gospel style. He abides with me. There's that stanza that says, He is with me everywhere and he knows my every care. I'm as happy as a bird and just as free. For the spirit has control, Jesus satisfies my soul. 
since the Comforter abides with me. That's the essence of what I'm going to be talking about today, is God abiding with us. God is with us. God is present with us. As a dad, I think, I've heard it said, how do you spell love to a child? And the answer is T-I-M-E. That spells time if couldn't keep up, but uh, you spell love by the time you spend with your children. And I think of that being true definitely uh, growing up with my dad. There's a quote that I've used before about my father, because it applies so well, that my father didn't tell me how to live. He lived, and he let me watch him do it. And that's so true of the relationship I have with my dad, and my brothers and I have with my dad, is he's not a quote machine. I don't go around throughout the day and say, well, my daddy always said. Uh, he did, he's a soft-spoken man. But he lived, and he let me watch. And then hopefully I'm following in a way that's honoring to him. Uh, speaking of my dad, I, I come from a family of all boys. There's two older brothers, David, Jason, and me, and my dad. And I want to show a picture. Now, it's a great picture of my dad and us growing up. <laughs> Uh, no, that's not us. Uh, but there's a real picture that I have of, you know, that's not much better actually. But, um, but that's, uh, my dad's the one with the white hair. And uh, my brother and I, Jason and I are the ones with no hair. And then there's David who is the oldest but looks the youngest. So that's, uh, that's my brothers and my dad and me. And we have a great relationship with my dad. And the, the whole concept of time with my dad was so important to me growing up. The things I remember most about my childhood with him are not big, elaborate vacations, were not, you know, big, expensive things, but it was just time spent with him. It was running errands with him. And I've kind of taken that with my own family. It's, I, I usually don't go to a store, I don't run an errand or something without grabbing at least one kid and taking him with me, uh, whether or not they want to or go or not. But, I look back and I love those trips with my dad to the hardware store. And I'm not talking about like Home Depot, which is fine, but I'm talking about like real floor creaking, big wooden barrel hardware stores like Bussy Hardware where it just smells like manhood when you walk in there. And I remember those times with my dad and I love that. Or um, my dad and I, we delivered, he helped me when I had my paper out. And so we'd have times in the morning getting the papers in, going out and delivering papers. It was quality time spent with my dad. Uh, he owned a Christian bookstore. I would spend time hanging out with him there. When I was a little kid in Chicago when he had a Christian bookstore, I remember just taking naps behind the counter. Uh, when I was an adult and he had a Christian bookstore, I remember taking naps behind the counter. No. But I would see the way he would interact with customers, and I would see his relationship. And I just got to be a part of that. And those are the memories that I take so much from my dad. I mean, my dad's not dead. Let's, I don't want to sound... He was here last night, so I should probably not talk much nicer because he's not here to appreciate it. But a uh, great relationship with my dad because of the time spent with him. And one of the most important or special times that I remember were going on like church retreats because my dad was pastor of a, a home church. And we would go to these retreats, and I would just get to be, as a little boy, walking alongside my dad with the other men. And I, I just remember, I mean, it's the sights and the, the sounds and the smells of childhood that are, like, I just remember these guys all having big, strong, hairy arms. And I remember, you know, you'd smell that old spice and sweat and leather, and uh, 
and just being around that, but I would watch these guys joke around. And that was just the coolest thing to me as a kid. And so all our Men of Valor events, for the most part, are open up to guys to bring their boys alongside because there's something special about a boy watching his dad interact in a healthy way with other guys. And so that's something that I really appreciated growing up. Uh, but there's another father in my life that I want to acknowledge, um, and that's Pastor Merrill. He is um, Jody's dad, my wife Jody's dad, so it's just... Uh, there's a special relationship that we have. I mean, I could not ask for a better, um, a better set of in-laws in general, but a better father-in-law to have in my life. And um, <clears throat> by the way, where are you taking us to lunch? Just, you know, I... Uh, steak and shake. Yeah, kids eat free. Hey. Um, but I so much, so much appreciate his... Uh, I guess his fathering of Jody, because I married his wife. Or, no, no, no. Hold on. <laughs> hey, can we edit that? <laughs> I married his daughter. <clears throat> Let's clarify that. I married his daughter, and I think that mom and dad did a really good job with her, and so. I'm just blessed to have then you as uh, another father in my life. So thank you for being there. But this is God. God spends time with us. It's the same way for us as children of God. God does tell us how to live. He tells us how to live with his word. He shows us how to live. I mean, he showed us how to live by sending his son to be in human form, to live among us. And then he continually lives with us with the Holy Spirit inside of us. God is with us. And that's the topic today, is God's omnipresence. God's all-presence. He is here. He is everywhere. And we're going to talk about what that has to do with our lives today. If you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 139. Pastor Darrell has been preaching out of the Psalms, and I'm going to continue that. When I told, told him that I was going to be preaching in Psalm 139, I said, I just want to make sure you're not going to. And he said, well, that would be like a six-month series. So, um, but I'm going to boil it down to one week. Psalm 139. I'm going to read a little lengthier section here because the context is important. Verses 1 through 16. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the 
depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I think that clarifies it. There's nowhere that God is not. There's an old story of a, a boy that's on a train with this Bible college student, and the Bible college student wants to impress the kid, so he says, Kid, I've got an apple, and I'll give it to you if you can tell me where God is. The kid thinks about it, and he says, How about I give you a whole bushel of apples if you can tell me where God is not? Because God is everywhere. As we read in here, there's no place where God's presence does not reach. Hebrews 13.5 God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. What comforting words. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And the writer of Hebrews, if going to the original Greek in there, there's, there's five negatives in this statement. So the literal rendering of this verse would be more like, I will no not leave you. And no, never forsake you. I will no, not leave you, and no, never forsake you. It's almost like God's trying to get a point across here. He's emphasizing He is never going to leave us. No matter what happens, no matter what comes our way, He will never leave us. Now, think of it like, like a teacher. You have those good teachers growing up that uh, they kind of hint to what's going to be on the test. You know, they don't come right out and tell you, but they'll say, you might want to pay attention to this. And so I feel like God is emphasizing this verse so much that he will no not leave you and no never forsake you. Second Chronicles 2.5 says, The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him. And then God says in Jeremiah 23, 23 and 4, Am I only a God nearby? Do not I fill heaven and earth? And Jesus says these often repeated words in Matthew 28, 20. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we're building a case here that God is omnipresent. There is nowhere where God's presence is not. The uh, author and pastor, A.W. Tozer, said, if there were any borders to God, if there were any place where God is not, then that place would mark the confines or the limits of God. And if God had limits, God could not be the infinite God. Wherever you have finitude, you have creaturehood, not God. If there was a place where God could not be, then God would not be God. So we've established through his word and through logic that God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. So this necessary attribute of God, what does that mean then for us? What does this mean for our daily lives? And that's what I'm going to talk about today. There are three points that I'm going to make about God's presence with us. First one, God is with us when we struggle. God is with us when we struggle. This point kind of shifted in my message this week in light of the shooting that happened down in the church in South Carolina, in Charleston, South Carolina, where an evil person, in the midst of this group, sat for an hour in a Bible study, 
and then opened fire, killed nine people in this church. Basically executed them. So when I hear think God is with us when we struggle, I think, wow, struggle, that's, a, that's an understatement of the century for what these people are going through now, the family of these victims. So then I, as I'm thinking, what, what are some natural responses we would expect from those left behind in this tragedy? Anger, rage, bitterness, extreme sadness, maybe a, a not wanting to even go on in life anymore. These are some of the expected responses, I would think, for someone that's dealt with such a tragedy or been a victim of such a tragedy or seen someone close to them a victim, because sometimes that's harder, seeing those close to us be a victim of something more than ourselves. But yet, I don't know if you heard the responses from these victims that, that survived and, and their families, but when they had the opportunity to go in court and to confront this killer, they said some things like, along the lines of, I'm extremely sad. Our lives are never going to be the same, but I forgive you. And this one after another would go up there, a family member, and say, this is horrible, this is tragic, I'll never be able to hold my wife again, but I forgive you. So what is it about struggle, about tragedy, about horrible times and circumstances that would make someone rise up and act in that manner? President Obama tweeted out after their responses, in the midst of darkest tragedy, the decency and goodness of the American people shines through in these families. The world is watching to see how these people respond. And even what the president said, the decency and goodness, I think that's understating it. I mean, decency and goodness, that's great that that's shown through, but this goes so much beyond being decent and being good. This is something supernatural to be able to forgive someone in the face of that kind of tragedy. Thinking of my life over the past six months or so, um, it's been the most difficult period of my life in the past six months. Through various circumstances in and out of the home, circumstances just surrounding, whatever, I'm not going to get into the details of it, but it's been the hardest, the darkest period of, of my life. And yet, Jody and I find ourselves closer to each other, but also we find ourselves closer to God. And to me, logically, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. When, when bad times, when hard times come, the temptation would be to shake your fist and, and to act like Job. And, and, and to act like those counseling Job and saying, curse God and die. But yet I find myself completely drawn to God and wanting to be with God and on my knees before God and not questioning God why, but just saying, God, I want to feel you with me. And that's not a statement on me. That's a statement on God, that God is with us during hard times. God is with us when we struggle. Psalm 34, 18, I think is very applicable both to what's going on in South Carolina and just hard times in general. 
The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He's close to the brokenhearted. It doesn't say he spares people from having broken hearts. But he says that he's close with the brokenhearted. It doesn't say he prevents those who are crushed in spirit. He doesn't prevent being crushed. What does it say? It says he saves those who are crushed in spirit. That is the title of Jesus. He is a savior. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. But the prophecies about Jesus being born was that front to us is born a savior, which is Christ the Lord. Christ is a savior. He's not a preventer. He's not one to to keep bad things from happening, but then when they do happen, he is there with us and he saves us. I think of in Daniel, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, you know the story where the king, uh, what's the VeggieTales version? Is that Rack, Shack, and Benny? Maybe that would, maybe some of you parents might know it from that, but uh, the, the king Nebuchadnezzar has Shadrach, Meshach, he has the whole, all the thousands of people there bow down to the, the idol made of gold. And so I could just picture the sea of humanity just bowing down, except for three. Three people, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all standing there, refusing to bow. And what's said in Daniel's, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from you, your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. God did not decide to step in, close the furnace door before they could get thrown in. He did not decide to just take the three of them, pull them out of there and say, oh, I don't want them to have any problems here. He said, no, you're going to let them go through it. But what happens is, is he saves them. And you know the story. They get put into the furnace, and they don't burn. And the king looks in there, and there's a fourth in the fire with them. God is with us when we struggle. You know, as a dad, there's circumstances in my lives, my children's lives, that I can't prevent. Sickness, some bad relationships. Uh, being bullied, things like that, that I have a little bit of effect on, but I can't keep them in a bubble and avoid all these bad things from happening. But it's important for them to know that I am there with them. And I am a father. Uh, Jody and I have, uh, we have three beautiful children and two beastly ones, (laughs) bringing our grand total to five. And I think of uh, the comedian Jim Gaffigan, what he says, because there was one point in our, in our parenting where we had five children under the age of eight. Five kids under the age of eight. So if you want to know why Jody has some gray hair, if you want to know why I have some hair left only, that little phase in our life, I think, is probably the reason for that. Having five kids under the age of eight was a hectic time in our life. Um, and the comedian Jim Gaffigan says, you want to know who has five children, you know what it's like to have five kids? Pretend you're drowning and then someone hands you a baby. And that was our life for a few years. But what I found out 
And having preparing for this week, I did a lot of research into parenting. And going through all these science, all this research, all these studies, came to realize that there are basically two types of parents. Very scientific study. It says, first type of parent is one that is able to handle vomit. Second type of parent is the one that just at the mention of the word vomit will vomit themselves. <laughs> All the parenting is boiled down to these two basic types of parents. And in our marriage, unfortunately, I am the one that can handle it. So, when you got five kids and they're sharing rooms and all that and sickness finds its nasty way into the home, it just kind of plays pinball in there and you know, who's going to get it next? And so as the kids were growing up, and this still happens, but at least now they can fend for themselves a little bit more, but when they were little, they couldn't. I mean, we would have kids sleeping in our bed there. I'd be going in the room in the middle of the night and you know, screaming kids, and I'd have to change sheets in the middle of the night, and I'd have to, you know, go down to the bathtub and rinse them out, and then take them down, put them in hot water, and then wash them in the, and just going through all this in the middle of the night. When this is the last thing I want to do? I got to work in the morning or whatever. Um, times with the girls, remember them when they were younger and um, throwing up, and they're on there. I mean, I'm not going to get too graphic here, but you know what happens when you throw up. If you make it to the toilet, that's a good thing. But at just those times, we're in the middle of the night, I can barely stay awake and I'm just holding her hair back while they're doing their thing. And I look back and as much as that's not fun, when I think of parenting as a young father, those are the times that really speak to me. Because there's an intimacy there. Nobody else can do that in their lives. No one else has that intimate relationship that when they're going through a hard time, dad's there. Dad's there to help them get through it. And so I'm just thankful that I was able to do that and I'm thankful that someday they're going to have their own children and they will then see what it's like to hold their children's hair back while they throw up and I won't be there for that. Uh, <laughs> And I think of those times as a baby holding kids as they're sick and trying to get them to sleep, rocking them, singing to them. Which in hindsight, maybe that's what spurred on the vomiting, I don't know. <laughs> but those times of, just those intimate times of being a father meant so much to me. Um, there's one time in particular I think of when Lauren was six weeks old. I'm going to show a picture of... Me, no, no, no. There's nothing cute about this picture when you hear my story. First off, you look at this terrible picture and you think, why of all the pictures of your children would you pick this one? Well, there's a story. Here's why. So Lauren, our oldest, say hi, Lauren. There's Lauren. Yeah, she was uh, six weeks old. Now she's 16. Uh, she was six weeks old then, which makes me 23. Uh, now, why is that funny? It's <laughs> Yeah, that sad-looking knobby guy. I was 23 years old, and we took our, our road, first road trip with Lauren as a baby, at six weeks old. Jody, me, Lauren. And we drive to Springfield to see my grandparents for the first time. And it was also... See, 
my grandparents are from the South, so that's also the first time, six weeks old, my, I think that Lauren had Pepsi. My grandma, you know, gives her a straw and is like feeding her like a baby bird. Pep anyway, they do it different in Kentucky. Um, but that road trip was not cute. There was no awe about it. If you could zoom in on my eyes, they're bloodshot. My fists are probably balled up and nerves are on edge because I remember driving, coming back, normally like a three and a half hour trip, took several hours. There was construction and she was screaming the entire time. Not, not Jody, Lauren was <laughs> screaming the entire ride. She was in the back seat of our little escort, just, it, it was horrible. And you've been there as a parent or maybe just sitting next to someone at a restaurant. If you're not a parent and you've heard that screaming child and you just feel you get that and your fists and you just ugh. well that's what was going on in me as I'm driving and my little escort so finally I just had enough and I said I gotta pull over so I pull over go back and I unbuckle her what do you think happened as soon as I picked her up yeah yeah nice Lauren she stopped crying and she started smiling and she started giggling, and she started, it was just like, her world was fine right then. And so Jody took a picture of me, bleary-eyed, standing there with Lauren. But that is our role as a parent, to be there in hard times. I couldn't prevent what she was going through, but she knew I was there in some little way. And when Dad picked her up and held her, things were okay. And I think that definitely relates to our relationship with God. God chooses sometimes not to prevent bad things, but he is there when we're going through a hard time. And all we have to do is reach out for him, and he's there and acknowledge his presence. Psalm 23, 4, you know the 23rd Psalm. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Again, there's this idea that I'm walking through the valley. God didn't put up a big bridge, a big fence and say, don't walk through here. We're going to walk through it. You're going to have hard times. And when you go through it, we have the encouragement that God is with us. God is present. Second point, God is with us when we succeed. I like this. God is with us when we succeed. Everybody likes to have someone celebrate with them when something good happens in their life. This past week, what happened in sports that we celebrated in Chicago? That's right, the White Sox ended their eight game losing streak. The Chicago Blackhawks, the Stanley Cup champs. Yes. And the rally was incredible. Two million people lining the streets of Chicago. Soldier Field completely packed. A sea of red as people cheering on the Blackhawks and all the excitement that went along with that because they succeeded, they won. We want an audience when we do the right thing. Imagine if the Blackhawks were on their double-decker bus going through the city and nobody showed up. And it was just kind of like, you know, tumbleweed going across there and uh, you know, you hear crickets chirping, and then they get to Soldier Field, and they walk in there, and they're the only ones there. 
I know what you're thinking. It's kind of like a Sox game, but I <laughs> wouldn't say that because I'm a Sox fan. But imagine they get up there on the platform and they're talking and all you hear is the feedback and you hear echoing off of the empty seats. Kind of a letdown. When something happens well, something goes good in our life, when we do something, we accomplish something, we want to have people with us. We want to be celebrated. And we can rest assured that if God is everywhere, God is with us when we succeed. I think of growing up watching the things my dad would do with nobody paying attention. My dad would, I mean, just clean up garbage wherever we go. Always pick up garbage. And uh, we would go to a mall, you know, we, he would go into a public restroom and he'd be in there for 20 minutes. I'm thinking, wow, Dad, what did you eat? Well, it turns out he's cleaning up the bathroom because he doesn't want some minimum wage kid to have to do it. And he wasn't going to tell me, but until I asked. Um, and then I'd watch the way he interacts with other people, the way he talks to people, and people that could really, in, according to society, provide nothing for him in return. But he spends time with those people and cares for those people and listens to those people. And I have no doubt the reason that my dad lives a life like this is because he knows that his audience is God, that that's what he's supposed to do, and he does it. So no matter what we're going through, no matter what hard decisions you have to make for good, just know that God is watching. You know, there's times I wish that my life was like a TV show or a movie where, like, you know, the, the lead character makes a hard decision, makes some big sacrificial move, and nobody knows about it except the lead character. And it's like, except for the millions of people that are watching, and it's like, oh, oh, what a great guy. Look what he did. In our lives, it's not like that. We make those decisions daily, hourly, the way we think and treat people. But our audience might be... God, and that's it. But that's enough. God is with us when we succeed. So when you refuse, when people at work are telling inappropriate jokes, when they're hanging around and they're gossiping about other people, and you make a choice in your, in your mind to just avoid that, God sees that. When you're at school, you're taking a test, and you, or ahead of time, the answers are kind of floating around, and you know Everybody's doing it. Nobody would know if I just got those answers. But you make the right decision, and you maybe get a worse grade on the test. God sees that. When you love those people that can provide nothing for you in return, God sees that, and God honors that. God is our audience, and he is with us when we succeed. And thirdly, God is with us when we sin. God is with us when we sin. A lot of times when we hear messages, sometimes you want to nudge, oh yeah, you need to listen to this. Well, let me nudge all of you, myself included. We all need to know, we need to hear this more, that God is with us when we sin. We're not getting away with anything. God will not be mocked. God will not be fooled. Think about the Chicago Blackhawks. A rally of two million people. They go to Soldier Field. It's completely sold out and packed. But they came in last place. Well, that would be a little awkward, wouldn't it? I mean, what's the captain? What's Jonathan Taves going to go up there and say, hey, um, 
if you put the standings upside down, we would have been good. I don't know. Uh, let's do this again. No. I mean, what do you say to an adoring public when you mess up? And that's like us. I mean, who wants our sins to be exposed in front of a huge crowd? There's a reason that wedding receptions and banquets are in big, bright ballrooms. But you think of what saloons and bars and taverns are little dark places. When people aren't doing behavior that they think they should be engaged in, they want it to be kind of hidden. But God sees all of this. God is there when you sin. There are no secrets. When David said in Psalm 139, Surely the darkness will hide me, the response is, Darkness is as light to you. Sins are not done in secret. So, to that businessman that goes on the road and stays at hotels and thinks, I could watch this pay-per-view show, there's nobody here that's going to know it. Even when it comes back on the bill, it's not even going to say what it actually was. Nobody's going to know. We need to know that God is our audience. When you consider cheating on your taxes, when you, when you consider, you know, you think, all right, times are tough. I'm not going to give to God this time. No one's going to know. Okay, God knows. God sees all of this. And it's not a message of condemnation. It's just a message of accountability. When you're accountable, that might affect your behavior. That affects my behavior. So thinking that we sin alone does not make it so. So in light of this, how should we then live? How do we live in, this, in light of God being present everywhere, knowing that, he is, that there's nowhere he is not? How do we live? Well, I choose to live, as Psalm 73, 28 says, As for me, it is good to be near to God. It is good to be near to God. I want to accept that nearness of God, and I want to embrace that nearness of God. And God is here, but he doesn't force himself on us. You know, in Revelation, it talks about, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. He is there. God is here. But have you opened the door? Have you invited him in? And that's the question that we really need to ask today. Are you going to follow him? If you haven't, now's the time to do it. And it's really simple. It's really simple. Using the language that was used in Scripture, you're saying, God, I've sinned. I've blown it. Scripture is very clear about that, that all of us have sinned. There's no one righteous, not even one of us, that we're all sinners. So you confess that. And then you let God do his thing. You let Jesus be the Savior. You let Jesus reach down and say, Okay, you've blown it. You're a sinner. Let me save you. And he wants to do that. That's why he sent his son to die. And then to rise again. Because he wants salvation to come to us. So when you hear these words, salvation and things like that, it's really just Jesus being a Savior. 
It's doing what dads do every day in a sense, that we, we save our kids. We, we, we try and protect them when they're going through a hard time. We be there with them. That's what God is doing. But God wants it so much more intimate. God is around us, but he wants to be in us. And so today, I want you to make that opportunity for yourself to invite him in. There's a song that I want to play. Are we going to be able to play the song back there? Okay, just no words. Oh, there will be words. I'm sorry. That screen doesn't work. That does. I was confused. Um, I'm going to play a song that I heard at the Act Like Men conference this past weekend. And it's called I Will Follow it's by John Guerra. He was the worship leader there. And the song just floored me. First time I heard it, and I thought, that says a lot better than what I want to say. And so um, the song talks about what circumstances we are going to follow Christ in. So watch the words on the screen. I want you to listen, and then we're going to close at the end of this.
12. Guys, I'm a man of my word, and I said I would not beat you up on Father's Day. If you feel beat up, that's okay, but women should feel beat up too. Because um, I know preparing this message, there is part of me that's challenged me. How, would, how do I handle life when I'm struggling? And that's the key to it, is following. It's hanging on to God. It's trusting Him as our anchor, the one to support us and get us through. What I want to do now is I want to invite the guys to the front. I apologize if some of you guys don't like to do that. We're not going to do anything weird, but I want to bless you and I want to pray for you. I love Pastor Fred's prayer early on. It's a prayer of victory. We're going to do a little bit more of that. So, guys, if you would do me a favor, stand up, and we're going to come to the front. We're going to close our service with a blessing and a prayer. And as we come, Damon's going to lead us in a closing song. All right, if you guys would sing with us, we would appreciate it. All the men together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look time of the service when we normally do the blessing. But as I was reading Paul's words in Ephesians and his prayer for the church in Ephesus, I thought this is the prayer that I want to pray over you men as you go forward. So as I read this, understand that it's a prayer, that these words are going up to God for each one of you guys here. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Look at this army of men here. This church needs you. Your families need strong men to rise up. Our community needs you. This nation needs men of God to rise up and to follow. And I want each one of you to be able to walk out of this with confidence saying, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Fix your eyes upon him and you're not going to stray. Gentlemen, I hope that you're blessed this Father's Day. Hope you have a great week ahead. And before you go, I want everybody to take something, if it's edible or if you can drink it, you can have it. So you guys can take something off of that table uh, before you leave, just as a small thank you for being born a guy, I guess. Um, but this is for all guys on your way out, so take that. Be blessed, and uh, thank you for your attention this morning. God bless you.